Hello everyone, it's your man Bitcoin Bro here. And I'm gonna start off this video by just saying, why is my name Bitcoin Bro? Well, it all comes from a, a mathematician called Bonet Mandelbro. All right, this man, he was the mathematician that discovered fractals. And when you look at the Bitcoin chart, it's absolutely a fractal-like pattern. It scales on top of itself. It's irregular, it's chaotic, but there's order in the chaos. You see, I found that so interesting, the idea of the fractility principle. And when you apply it to Bitcoin, it absolutely checks out. That's why I put my name, the last name of, of Mandel, bro, bro, Bitcoin, bro, you know? So that's where it all comes from. That's how we're going to start off this video, a fun fact. But we're going to talk about something else here today. Today, I want to talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> Shocker, right? So the whole point of this is to just tell you now is a great time to buy Bitcoin. It has been consolidating from a high of 62,000. Now we're at around 52,000. It's never been a better time. You see, in my opinion, you could have an investment that basically doubles. I see Bitcoin as $100,000 by year's end, a possibility of a max run of around 220,000 in my opinion. Therefore, anything you invest now, it doesn't have to be $50,000. It can be $1. It could be $10. If you put $10 in now and Bitcoin goes to $100,000, you got $20 in your account now. It's not going to mean a lot to you, but at least you have some exposure. My, my whole purpose of this video is to have you get off zero. The $0 Bitcoin exposure makes no sense. Your whole mindset is to only have dollars to accumulate dollars, but that, that system is rigged against you. You see, the, the dollars that you're accumulating, there's just less and less purchasing power in those dollars. Well, less and less purchasing power and you getting the same amount of money means you can purchase less and less over time. And it's a slow death, death by a thousand paper cuts, the way New England Patriots used to be all the teams in their, in their dynasty era. They, they hit you with a three-yard pass, four-yard pass, five-yard pass, first down hit with you with a three-yard run, two-yard run, seven-yard run, first down. Slowly but surely, that's the same way monetary policy works. Trickle-down economics says we're going to print a whole bunch of money, give it to organizations. Those organizations are going to invest, stimulate the economy, getting more money to the employers because of pay raises. Those pay raises lead to further stimulation. And it all seems perfect when you think about it like that. The problem is greed is an unfactored in this scenario. See, greed on the top level, when someone gives you money, how much of you really wants to give that away? Especially when you think you're the reason you make that money. When you think you put yourself in that situation to earn that money, why should someone else get that because of their lack of work? See, it's a competitive mentality and it's good for business but it's bad for capitalism. You see, there is a difference between true capitalism and socialistic capitalism. We are now in a socialistic capitalistic age here in America. Ever since 2008, when we decided to print money and give it to the banks, we no longer were true capitalists. We are now fundamentally socialist, but we still have capitalistic characteristics. So we are more socialist capitalists. This worked for a little bit. I mean, everyone remembers 2009 to 2020. I mean, 
it's pretty good. Stock market was going up off its 2008 lows. It kept achieving new all-time highs. The housing market came back. Jobs came back. Everything seemed pretty good. And then coronavirus happened, and we had to shut down the entire economy. Well, when you shut down the entire economy and you no longer have money trading hands, well, you could experience what was feared in 2008, which is a drying up of liquidity pools. The stoppage of money means the end of money, especially in a fiat system that is dependent on a network effect. Now, what is a network effect? A network effect is, for example, like YouTube. When you want to watch a video, you don't go to Vimo. You don't go to Bing.com. You go to YouTube and you watch the video. Why? They've established a network effect. When you think of instant video, you think of YouTube. Social media has a similar network effect. Now, it's an oligopoly. It's not as such so much as a monopoly like YouTube or Google is when you think of search engines. But the, the notion still stands that the majority of people tend to go towards network effect. Now, of course, you have minorities that go to their um, isolated and uh, more tailored experiences. For example, you have Bing.com, you have Yahoo.com. Those search engines are still used, but what does almost everyone use, even use as a verb, Google? Google has a network effect. The dollar has the strongest network effect in any organization, any object. I mean, gold has a very strong network effect. We all recognize gold, that it has value. But for some reason, we think a piece of paper has more value than gold. And that's not how it was originally thought of. You see, gold was layer one, right? Layer one is basically saying, we're going to use gold as the reserve, okay? And then we're going to make bills on top of that. These bills are going to represent a certain proportion of gold, and why they do this? Well, exchanging gold when you're trying to go buy a hamburger. Well, first off, there's a security risk that someone robs you. It's not very easily, they have to weigh it, make sure you're, it's actually the right amount of gold, make sure it's real gold, and it just slows down transactions and it's not very efficient. So they made these bills that came from centralized locations that stored your gold for you and you get in exchange these bills that represented your amount of gold in that vault. And so you went around in your society using these bills that represented your gold and bought and sold with these bills. And this became the means of exchange. It was so much more efficient than carrying around a lump of gold with you. These bills were layer two. This is layer two of money, right? On top of layer two, you have layer three, which is where you get into debt. Debt is a loan, basically. It's someone saying, I'm going to deposit this amount of money into a liquidity pool. Say I give a bank $1,000 and the bank says, okay, we're going to hold 10% of that money. Make sure that you always have it, which is around the current requirement of reserve rates of banks. Banks are only required to have 10%. So for example, JP Morgan, say they have $100 trillion in assets under management. And they only need to have $10 trillion actually in U.S. dollars. The other $90 trillion, they can loan out to banks, they can loan out to companies, they can, they can invest, make that money. And they were supposed to give you an interest rate for that service. So they are making money off your money, and therefore, they want to 
offer you a return. They offer you an APY, an annualized percentage yield. So this gives you a certain amount of percentage every year for holding your bills with the bank. Because again, I mean, bills, they're good, but they're not great because, I mean, if you have too many bills, again, it's a security risk. And they're also not super, super efficient when it comes to like bank transfers or big money transfers. So banks were involved. Also, I mean, when you're giving your bills to a bank, it is a risk because you have to trust that bank but you do get a return on your money on money that was just rather would just sit in your house and not make any money. So that's layer three, debt banks. Layer four is credit. This is where now the bank uses your US dollars in a system that is already over collateralized, under collateralized because they're taking 90% of your money and doing whatever they want with it and only holding 10% of it. And then they they also, on top of your, quote unquote, collateralization of your account, which is say you have $1,000 in your account, that is your collateral. So they're going to be saying, we'll offer you a credit, we'll give you extra money that you can spend. And based off your 1000, we'll give you a a $1,500 credit limit. So basically, you can go out and spend this just as you would regular bills. But it's not your money, it's our money. So you have to pay us back, right? It's, It's not free money. It's not your money, but it's not free money, okay? So you have to pay us back. And we're, we, are, we, we charge a certain annual percentage yield that you have to charge us back for this credit. Credit is also loans, and it's, that's layer four, right? And so we've gotten so high up the ladder of layers that we no longer even recognize gold. And so if you could tell, layer three and layer four, they become very sketchy because if you have any faulty players, or if you have any organization or bank that makes a bad investment and they lose money and you're so under collateralized and you, you don't actually have the currency that you created backed by the, the actual layer one reserve, you get to a point where the system is no longer true. It's no longer accurate. So what do you do at that point? Well, you delete layer one. You say layer one is no longer a reserve currency. And the United States did just that. After World War One, we said, we're going to peg our currency to the gold and all the other countries are going to peg their currency to our currency. And so all the world's currency will be backed by gold through the US dollar. And everything was dandy. But then we started printing more money. And eventually Richard Nixon came out and said, we're completely off the gold standard. So all the layers, layer two, layer three, layer four, that we created from money of the original layer one reserve gold asset that we recognize as the most valuable store of value that is a material on this earth. Well, they said, no, obviously the system was going to implode because they didn't have the reserve. So if everyone went back, said they want their gold for their bills, there wouldn't be enough gold. There was too many bills in circulation. And therefore, everyone's bills were actually worth less than what they originally thought. That's called inflation. That's called losing purchasing power that you originally thought you had. And it was no, no fault of your own other than holding your value in that currency that was debased, depreciated. It lost value because it was printed off an assumption of future growth that didn't end up happening and therefore cannot be exchanged for the same amount of gold 
that layer one was. So when that happened, they had to get rid of layer one. They said, the US dollar is no longer backed by the gold currency. There you have it. The US dollar is now fiat currency. What does fiat stand for? Well, in Latin, it stands for fake. Fake currency. And that's what our world runs on now. And every other currency is pegged to this fake currency. Therefore, every other currency in the world is also fiat currency. This is absolutely mind-numbing thought process. But like, I'm 20 years old. I find it absolutely like a highway robbery. And the fact that they all just got away with it, it's, it's amazing to me that no one called out the bullshit. But that's not necessarily true because there's are a lot of countries out there that have tried to get off the US dollar peg. They have tried to make their own reserve currency. Doesn't end up happening well. Why? The US Army goes over to their shores and they say, uh, you either go back to our currency as the peg or we are going to destroy you. And the US Army being the strongest army in the world, well, most people listen or they don't and they lose and they do it anyways. This has established our currency as a, a continuing reserve currency where why we have the most power in the world is because we have control of the money. And the only reason we have control of the money is because we have the greatest army that proves, that basically verifies that we have the strongest money. Why? Because that our army will do anything in order to protect the US dollars network effect. Let that sink in. Imagine if Facebook had an army that sole purpose was to go to other countries and kill people trying to make other platforms. That's what the US dollar does. That's what the US government does in order to maintain its control and power, not only on us, but on the entire world. It all comes down to the money. Everything comes down to the money. This US army system that we use to validate the network effect of the US dollar to continuing its dominance of the as a world reserve currency. That's one way to validate a currency. The other way to validate a currency is the blockchain. And what is the blockchain? Well, it's a decentralized system running on nodes. Imagine the internet. The layer one of internet was to connect one another. I'm going to connect my computer with your computer, computer, and I'm going to send you a message. You're going to receive it and be able to send one back. That's the layer one of internet. Layer two of internet is being able to make the internet of things, connect devices that are not the same. So no longer commit, uh, connecting people through computers, you're connecting Bluetooth, right? You're connecting your phone with your car. You're connecting your phone with your coffee, whatever. That's the internet of things. That's layer two. Layer three was the, the, the architecture of the internet and the way we do money. But the original architecture of the money was, uh, the original architecture of the internet was made for a native digital currency. It's not made for the, 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 the US dollar or any other fiat currency out there. And it, because it's, it, it's just, it makes it inefficient. You can make it so much easier 
the way the architectures that created the internet was set up, you can make it so much more efficient to buy and sell goods on on e-commerce. So when you when you get into this this era of now, therefore, the internet is digitizing money, making the money perfect for the internet. Bitcoin is the internet's native currency. And as you've found out, betting against the internet is the absolutely wrong thing to do. Betting against Bitcoin is the absolute wrong thing to do. A decentralized system of nodes, like I went back to the internet, I'm connecting my computer with your computer. That's Imagine my computer being a node and your computer being a node, okay? And then we wanna send Bitcoin to one another. So I have Bitcoin in my account and I want, and you want to buy my Bitcoin with US dollars. So to verify this, verify that first I have real Bitcoin and that I'm actually sending the Bitcoin to you. You use your node to verify that you, you use your node to send out a broadcast to all the miners. And this is where Bitcoin miners come in. A lot of people get confused about Bitcoin miners. Bitcoin miners, sole purpose, are computer, very complex computer systems that solve the hash functions that are created by these broadcastings from the nodes, asking for verification of a transaction. Once these Bitcoin miners solve the hash function, it sends it back to the nodes. But instead of sending it back to just the original node, it sends it to the entire network. And the network votes on the criteria it has been given based on the original Bitcoin protocol on whether or not the hash function solved by the Bitcoin miner is truly an accurate and verified transaction. If it is, they will give a fee, a reward to the Bitcoin miner for solving that transaction. And the node can then know that the person receiving Bitcoin for their US dollars is actually receiving through Bitcoin, they're not getting fraud, and that they are actually giving their US dollars away and not just keeping their US dollars and keeping the Bitcoin as well. So it's a decentralized system that is dependent on the overall strength and robustness of the network. The more nodes there are on the network, the more less chances someone can make a majority 51% um, conglomerate. And basically, imagine if I own 51% of those nodes, I can vote on a hash function that says it is, it is truly a transaction, even though it may not be, right? And I might have um, certain intentions to have that. So if I want that to happen, I, I show that I have 51% nodes I own all, and I have to coordinate all those nodes together and then say, this transaction is actually true, even though it's not. And then it will be added to the blockchain as if it's true and there's nothing the other nodes can do about it other than maybe creating another side chain of the original blockchain up until that bad block was verified and then make a new system from that original block. However, if a 51% attack is ever um, actually accomplished, the Bitcoin network will be finished. I don't think anyone could actually trust the Bitcoin system after that. Therefore, I think the only thing that can stop Bitcoin is this 51% attack. Who can do it? Only governments at this point, in my opinion. And it's not only just one government. I don't think the U.S. could do it alone. They would have to get a, a lot of countries together, a lot of money together, and to create 
a network of nodes that is more than 51%. At this point, there are millions of nodes out there. So you have to get millions more. And if you can figure out a way to coordinate those, they could do it. But if they do do it, all that money that they invested into it would be lost. Now, governments are notorious for losing money, so I don't think that'd be an issue for them, especially if they stop a currency that's trying to replace their world, world reserve currency. However, the likelihood of it is growing lower and lower every day they don't start doing it because the more and more people running the nodes means the more and more they have to accumulate to pull off a 51% hack. And that is the simple way of big, how Bitcoin runs. The nodes find transactions that are trying to be taking place. They ask Bitcoin miners to solve them. The Bitcoin miners solve them. The nodes make sure that the, that the solving that they did was actually true and legitimate, therefore confirming transactions, giving reward to miners. And it's a, it's a reinforcing system. It's beautiful. And no one's in charge of it. The only way you can be in charge of it is if you do truly own 51% of all the nodes. No single entity could do it. Only a conglomerate of countries, in my opinion, can do it. Could it happen? Possibly. But in my opinion, it goes low, lower and lower every single day. And could you shut down Bitcoin? Absolutely not. No matter what, someone will still believe in the future of Bitcoin. And there's so many Bitcoin that have already been erased from existence that it literally fundamentally can't go to zero unless no one ever is willing to buy it, which isn't the case because even if it goes to $5, I mean, someone wants to buy it just because of remembrance. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it would never even go to $5. What I'm saying though is since, I mean, about 7% of the total circulation of Bitcoin have been lost, which means, for example, we all heard the stories about people losing, um, forgetting their passwords to their Bitcoin wallets and not being able to access them. But when they can't access them, that means they can't sell them. And if they can't sell them, that means we actually have a scarcer um, scarcer market than we, than we actually originally thought. There's only 21 million Bitcoin that will ever be um, in circulation, that will ever be produced, no more, no less. But actually there will be less, if you think about it, because of those tokens that will be lost in the process by people who are just ignorant to how to actually secure Bitcoin. And I always tell people this, if you're afraid of using losing your password, use a centralized entity like Cash App, like Coinbase, like Kraken. If you are actually res responsible and, and want to be on the cutting edge, open up your own node, verify your own transactions, buy a hardware wallet, maybe even just warm wallets. I like warm wallets better than really hardware wallets because you can access them on any um, device in the world. Obviously hardware wallets, you can just, you can access any device as well, as long as they have a USB port. Um, Cause you just, you load your Bitcoin onto the hardware wallet and off um, how, and it's no longer online. So no one can ever hack it. Um, the reason I like warm storage is it's kind of like a Gmail for your Bitcoin wallet. Meaning if you lose this device, you can still load it up on another device as long as you have your passwords. So I like Wasabi. Wasabi is one of my favorite warm wallets. But this whole spiel was to give you a backstory of what the US dollar is, why it's falling apart, why all fiat currencies are doomed to fall apart. Um, for example, Turkey, Turkey Libra is a currency that is, um, I don't know if I just got the Libra right, but <laughs> I think that's the Facebook currency. I don't know why I said that. But Turkey's currency is current, currently facing a, 
a huge deflationary um, in, um, inflationary environment where it's losing so much value against all the other fiat currencies around it, where the actual the leader of Turkey came out and said, please sell all your gold to support the currency. They're asking people to sell the gold that they have to get more of the dollars of, of their currency, of, the, of, the, of Tur- Turkey's currency, because when you do that, you have a stronger network effect, which in return allows the currency to have more and more value. And they're trying to reverse the devaluing of their currency by having people, more people buy their devalued currency. So when I try to tell people governments don't have your best interests at heart, it's very true. Imagine a day where the US dollar is absolutely losing value. I mean, it's like $10 a gallon at the pump and people just are like, I do not want to be in the US dollar anymore. I'm not getting any more money, but everything's getting more prices. I might get a $1,400 check, but everything else seems to be getting $5,000 more. So I'm net losing. Well, when they when when the government comes out and be like, hey, uh, our dollar is kind of crashing here. We need everyone to sell their stock and their gold and just hold dollars in their bank account. Some people might do it thinking the government has their best interest at heart. But what they're doing is trying to reinvigorate, re-strengthen the network effect of the dollar so more people get into it and it rises the value of it. You see, the only thing that has any value in in fiat currency is the network effect that it runs on. If it loses its network effect, it loses everything. You see, we could all wake up tomorrow with amnesia and we see these green pieces of rectangle and have no idea what they mean. If that's true, then we will have no business. The, the, every single currency we use, it's only dependent on its network effect. Think about people in prisons. Their currency of choice is cigarettes. They don't have dollars in there, so they use cigarettes. Now that's their network and the network effect in that society is to use cigarettes as the currency. The network effect in this society is to use dollars. However, money has always evolved. If you look throughout history, many, many currencies have a life expectancy of around 250, 300 years, the same life expectancy of about an empire. And therefore, you can definitely expect the time of the dollar to end soon, especially one that is so fundamentally flawed. It's not backed by literally anything other than its network effect. And so the only thing it does on a day-to-day basis is to reinforce its network effect. The more and more control that they can exert over you, the more and more they know they have control over that network effect. Bitcoin is the answer to that network effect. It brings the network effect to Bitcoin. And so the network itself gets to decide which is better. Do they want a centralized entity that says they have their best interests at heart, but in reality only cares about profits and growth? And one that you can't make a, you can't make a change on. One that is always fundamentally going to be flawed or is the network going to decide a decentralized service that was made to liberate and democratize money? The answer, I think, is clear. The evolution of humans have always tended to go to more and more democracy. I am an American, and I do not think we have established a true democracy in this country. I think we've created a pseudo-democracy that makes us feel good at night, but in reality, in practice, it doesn't hold true. It's like our capitalistic ideas, as I should say. them.
because they're just that ideas. Truly, we're leaning more towards socialists, especially after our 2020 and 2021 printing season that we've seen from the Federal Reserve. You have at this point people not even realizing why they're getting the money. They don't even ask the hard questions. If they can print you money, why do we pay taxes? Think about that one. I'll leave you with that. And until next time, please stay hard and think hard.